Welcome to the Money is Emotional podcast with Christine Lukin, the Financial Dignity Coach. In this podcast, we help you recover a positive and peaceful relationship with your personal finances. We do this by bringing together wise money management with emotional intelligence. Join us for this journey where we navigate our relationship with money as Christine Lucan draws from years of experience and guest experts to help you get to the root of your money issues. Hello and welcome to Money is Emotional with your host, Christine Lucan. Christine, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Oh, I'm fantastic. Doing well. I'm, I'm excited about today's podcast. It's going to be controversial. It's going to be a little spicy. <laughs> a little spicy. Sorry. I don't get to use that button often, but I thought I'll just push it one time. Okay. It's a perfect, perfect use of it. Oh, thank you. Uh, all right. So what, let's, let's tell the audience what you're talking about today. Yeah. So... Today, the title of the episode is I Disagree with Dave Ramsey. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I mean, you know, Dave Ramsey's he's been a prominent voice in the personal finance space for well over 20 years, maybe 25 yeah, years or really more. A long time. And much of his advice is very solid. You know, mm -hmm. I think we can agree that not having too much debt, living within your means saving money, like these are all good things. However, there's particular pieces of Dave's advice that can actually be damaging to people's long-term financial well-being. Mm -hmm. And that's always my primary concern. It's not just short-term results. It's, you know, lasting financial dignity. So that's really what we're going to discuss today. Yeah, and, and so and just for the listening audience, I, I want to jump in because I, I I don't want the audience to think that you saying that much of his advice is solid is just, you know, placating something or, or just, you know, right. doing whatever. You truly spoke about in, in one of the earlier podcasts about getting out of debt, a couple of different strategies. And one of the strategies was, you know, the, the debt snowball, which mm -hmm. is, is pretty much what Dave teaches as well, right? So, I mean, yeah, the audience understand that she's being quite honest. She agrees with some of it. There's just some of it that's not quite right. Right. And it was funny because I was preparing for this episode and I Googled Dave Ramsey is wrong. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to guess at how many results were provided? I, I wouldn't even have a close guess, I'm sure. 3.3 <laughs> 3 million. Okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> A country divided again. As <laughs> so now, I'm not the only one that has some disagreements with with Dave. Yeah. Um, and I, I think the first point that I want to make is that I have a history with Dave Ramsey. I mm -hmm. got my start in financial coaching because of him. And nice. we talked about this in the first episode when we talked about my story and how I got started in financial coaching and my journey mm -hmm. to get there probably about a year or so after I hit financial rock bottom and, you know, had really made some great progress on rebuilding my financial life. Someone at my church said, Hey, we're going to be teaching this financial literacy course and we could really use some people to help. And I know you've been through the ringer and you've come out the other side. And I think it would just be really beneficial if you could be there and give, give people some encouragement 
you know, plus you have an accounting background. And so I was like, well, yeah, of course, you know, I, I kind of felt like, Hey, God got me out of this mess. The least I can do is give back and help other people. Yeah. So I helped facilitate and teach Dave's Financial Peace University in my church for 10 years. Yeah. So I'm very intimately familiar with what he teaches and his approach. And in fact, I watched the videos that were, you know, part of the Financial Peace University so many times. I always joked that if the power went out, if I at least heard like the opening 30 seconds, I could take it from there <laughs> because That's I'd heard it so many times. Yeah, yeah. I could just like be like, all right, I know this. I'm going to, I can, I can tell you everything that he's going to say in this video. And, you know, five years into my volunteer work, I found out that I could be certified as a financial counselor through his organization. And honestly, I didn't get this certification because I wanted to make a business out of it. I just thought this is going to give me even more skills to help people because what I realized were some of the people were struggling with the material and they needed extra help and they needed extra handholding. So that's, that's why I did the training. I mm-hmm. actually met him. I was like super excited. I got my picture taken with him. Um, you know, he was really super nice. So, you know, this isn't like an attack against Dave's character, just so you know. Yeah. <laughs> but it was interesting because after I started coaching people one-on-one, I realized that there were a lot of people that had a tough time sticking with his methods, especially for the long run. A lot of my first paying clients were people that I had had in the Financial Peace University class, you know, one, two, three, four years previous, Mm -hmm. and they had fallen off the wagon. And some of them were like in a worse spot than when they'd started the class. Mm. And so it really got me curious as to like, what is it about what he teaches that, you know, is tripping people up? Like there's got to be something here because there were some people who would take it and run with it and be successful with it. But there were other people that, um, you know, it's just like the way he had laid it out for whatever reason, there were certain sticking points for people. So in my coaching, I began to experiment and tweak things for my clients. And eventually it got to the point to where I, I dropped my association with him. So Mm -hmm. when I first started coaching, like if people would say, Hey, what do you do? I'd be like, I'm a Dave Ramsey financial coach. And half the time people didn't know who Dave was. So I'd have to explain to them who Dave was instead of explaining to them who I was and how Mm -hmm. I could help them. (laughs) So, you know, I, I started to get away from that formal association. Now, if people, you know, ask me like, Hey, where'd you get your training? Where'd you get your certification? I would certainly tell them. But I, I found after a while that it actually became a detriment for me to link my name up with him because he's so polarizing. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that I learned is it's awesome for us to learn and get information from 
the quote unquote experts, the gurus, but we don't just want to take everything in as the truth without examining it for ourselves and seeing if it's going to fit for our individual situation. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if this is a good parallel or not, but bottom line is that it's, it's like a diet plan, right? It's, it's like somebody that wants to lose weight. Everybody has a different body type. Everybody mm -hmm. has a different, different need uh, when it comes to sustenance, food, um, right. You know, it, it, maybe there's certain things that they can't eat. Uh, you know, a lot of people are gluten free these days. I'm, I'm right. I don't care if something has gluten or it's covered in gluten. I'm eating it. <laughs> um, you know, but but if you want to lose weight, there's certain ways that you need to do it for your own body. I mean, as I'm as I've gotten older, I've got a couple injuries here and there, and so like I've got to have some surgery on my shoulder here in the next few months. Um, I can't do push-ups right now. It stinks. However, there's yeah. other things I can do. So, right, so you have to tweak things according to you and your circumstances. And I think that that's exactly what you've done is said, you can't, it's not just a cut and dry blueprint that everybody can follow perfectly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Now let's, let's get into like the, there's some very specific things that I disagree with relative to his advice that. I think can really cost people in the long run. And the first one is his philosophy that you have to use what he calls gazelle intensity to get out of debt. So I'm not sure if you're familiar I've with this analogy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> gazelle so, intensity. Yeah. So um, basically he says you don't want to treat debt casually, getting out of debt casually. Like you need to be really intense. Mm -hmm. And by intense, he means like a gazelle being chased by a cheetah. Yeah, that's exactly like, what I pictured. That's not a good thing. <laughs> that kind of intensity. And the problem with that kind of intensity is that it, it's hard to keep up. So, you know, he basically advocates getting extreme, cutting your spending to the bone. You know, he even suggests working overtime, getting a second job or a side hustle. And one of his quotes is like, sell so much stuff the kids think they're next <laughs> <laughs> I, see I've, ne I've never heard that before that's hilarious did you just snort laugh i did snort laugh i'm sorry I, my no, kids I are adults it. can i sell my grandkids <laughs> don't tell my wife i said that <laughs> she'd be so mad <laughs> right but it's like you get this picture in your head like oh my gosh like these people are getting super extreme like they're selling everything that they don't absolutely need yeah this, yeah kidneys next I'm sorry. <laughs> well here's the problem most people don't have the stamina to do this for months or years at a time and yeah. most people don't need to now here's the thing if someone's in collections you might need to do that you might need to sell so much stuff the kids think they're next so you can mm -hmm. get yourself out of debt. But the vast majority of clients that I'm working with, they have debt they want to get rid of, but it's it doesn't require this level of intensity, like you're running from danger, right? This fight or flight kind mm -hmm. of energy. That's not a good energy for you to have in your body for a long period of time, right? That's, yeah. that's stressful. Um, because what I saw happening with a lot of these, you know, clients who were coming to me who had been my former students 
in Financial Peace University is that they would burn out and then they would abandon the plan completely. Mm-hmm. And so I love that you brought up the like the diet analogy because I think this healthy eating fits this really well. So this could gazelle intensity is like going on a strict keto plan, right? Hmm. So if before you decided to work on your personal finances, you were doing the equivalent of drinking five Pepsis a day and eating two Snickers bars, and then you go into keto, right? (laughs) Which is like zero carbs, all Mm -hmm. the proteins, And essentially what you have learned from this process is that there's only two ways to do things, being completely out of control and being hyper-controlled. Yeah. You haven't learned what normal looks like, right? It's like the equivalent of healthy eating. And I always tell people, you know, in my world, there's no financial keto here. This is like the equivalent of the Mediterranean diet, right? We're going to, we're going to do a lot of healthy things to crowd out the bad things, but you know, you're still going to get to have your wine and your chocolate, right? We're not, we're not saying you never get to have any fun. And so I think when you go on a plan that's super extreme, whether it's to get out of debt or build up your savings or whatever the case may be, that once you've reached that point of saying like, okay, first of all, if you don't burn out and then you actually accomplish it, then it's like, well, what does normal look like? Because the only thing you know are the two extremes. Yeah. So this is why I think that gazelle intensity is actually kind of dangerous for people. Because I would much rather integrate, you know, these slow, steady, positive changes in the right direction that feel easy, that feel sustainable, because then you're never going to swing back to the other extreme. Yeah. Have you ever seen a a cheetah catch a gazelle? Sometimes. I don't like watching that. It makes me cry. It's it's, it's not something where... (laughs) Sorry, no, I brought up so gazelles are emotional, like money's emotional. Uh, no, but so here's my thought: is that why don't we set goals that we go after, like like a cheetah, right? Intensity mm-hmm. toward a smaller goal, not not a lifetime thing. That like Dave's talking about, you, you've got to transform this for the next three years of your life, and you know you, you lose that you lose that power to run because of that you get these yeah. smaller goals. The cheetah catches the gazelle, and the first thing they do, you know, is they eat it. Okay, and they're, they're done with the sad part. But then they lay around with gazelle gut, right? It's like a beer gut, go. but it's gazelle gut, and they just kind of they enjoy the fact that they've they've made their goal, right? They, right. They've accomplished their goal, and now they can relax. They don't take their foot off the pedal, but they just they relax for a bit and say, "Okay, where's my next goal?" Yeah, so. and that's exactly what I do with my clients. Like if we're specifically looking at paying off debt and they've said like, Hey, okay, I've got like an extra 500 and an extra thousand dollars. You know, we've adjusted our spending so we can put that on the debt every four or five months. I'll tell them, let's take a break and use that money to go do something fun. Absolutely. And sometimes they're like, are you sure? (laughs) Like, yeah. Like you need to learn how to take a break from the plan and then get right back to the plan. Yeah. You've worked so, hard. You deserve yeah. a gazelle gut for a bit. 
<laughs> exactly. And so, you know, creating a balanced plan to achieve your goals while you enjoy life, like that's really the way to go for I sure. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing with debt, um, I'm not sure if he's changed his stance on this, but when I was teaching his course, he basically said, don't bother with refinancing your debt, just get gazelle intense and tackle it. And hmm. I disagree with that as well, because I feel like refinancing your debt can accelerate the process. Now, we do have to deal with the underlying behaviors and mindset that caused us to get into debt in the first place. You know, if yeah. we do the refinancing and we don't do the other piece of it, then, you know, you've basically just shuffled your debt around and and not really taking care of anything. But mm -hmm. um, I think it can be a very powerful tool to help people accelerate that process. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. Yeah. Well, and speaking of debt, you know, my second disagreement with Dave is he basically says never use credit cards. Never. Mm -hmm. He never wants you to use them at all. Um, he doesn't think that people can use them responsibly. Now, yes, there are some people who probably shouldn't be let within 500 yards of a credit card. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's a lot of people who can use them wisely and to their advantage. You know, when when I got out of debt after I, you know, hit financial rock bottom, I did take a break from using credit cards because I knew that my behavior with them previously had been out of control. Yeah. So, I mean, honestly, I did this because I wanted to be like a good Dave Ramsey disciple and I got rid of all my credit. I paid off all my credit cards, got rid of everything. And I want to say there was probably a good seven plus years that I didn't use credit cards at all. However, there are some, there are some issues with that. First of all, you're an adult. You can decide for yourself whether or not you can handle a credit card responsibly. My husband is the epitome of self-control with credit cards. If we could say there's someone who doesn't spend emotionally, like he is like, on that end of the spectrum. He's one of those people that's, you know, he's an engineer. He's very practical. You know, he, he thinks about things for a long period of time and does the analyzing, which of course is why as of the recording of this, he still hasn't bought his Porsche that he's been, <laughs> once he turned 50, he said, I'm going to get a Porsche. I'm like, okay, go get it. He still hasn't gotten it and he'll be 53 in a few months. So we'll see. We'll see if that happens. But when it comes to credit cards, he's always like, ever since I met him, he's always been extremely disciplined about you pay him off every month. You never put anything on there that you can't pay off. Um, and the amount of credit card rewards that he's cashed in over his lifetime is, it's gotta be well over $10,000. Wow. Maybe nice. more. I mean, I think just last year he cashed in like six or eight hundred dollars worth of Amazon gift cards. Mm -hmm. And it was just, you know, the stuff that he needed to buy and and paid him off. You know, so people can use them to their advantage, you know, using the zero percent for so many months or to earn their cash back or other rewards. And the other thing is, you know, credit cards provide more fraud protection 
than debit cards. And of course, I mean, cash can just be stolen and then you've got zero recourse. So, you know, and I do have people say, well, what's, you know, like, what's the fraud protection difference between debit and credit cards? The one thing you have to remember is the credit card is the bank's money. And so if someone steals your credit card and you report it stolen, right, there's fraudulent charges on there, you don't pay for those charges. The bank is going to be really aggressive about getting that money back because it's their money. Mm -hmm. If your debit card gets stolen, then that money's out of your account. You actually have a shorter time period to report it to your bank. And then you got to wait for them to go get it. Mm -hmm. So personally, if someone's going to steal my money, I'd rather them steal the bank's money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good and point. I just had this happen on vacation. Like a day after I got off the plane, I get a call from my bank and they said, you know, there's, there's this charge that we think might be fraudulent. And I was like, yeah, that is fraudulent. So that's the other thing too, is that the credit card companies are actually proactive and they watch for anomalies on people's accounts, right? Because it's like, you kind of get this history of what you're buying. Yeah. And if there's something that comes through from a vendor that they've seen as being fraudulent or something that's way out of the ordinary for you, they'll flag it, they'll put a freeze on your account and they'll call you. They don't do that for your debit card. I mean, at least that's never happened to me on my debit card. Hmm. <laughs> so, you know, there are advantages to using credit cards. However, you got to be careful with them. You know, you and I were talking about cooking before we started and our love of carbs and bread. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, I like to say that credit cards are like a chef's knife, right? So the knives that I have at home are Cutco, oh, which yes. are like, yeah, those are awesome. Yep. We have those. <laughs> but they're really super sharp, right? Totally. Like, you know, <laughs> like you can cut off the tip of your thumb if you're not careful. And yeah, I almost did the first week I owned mine. <laughs> well, one of my buddies came over, we had a little party and, and he's, he brought some Coronas. And so he started to cut up some limes and he, he's used to oh, his geez. knives where you, you put your lime in your hand and you cut through it. Oh God. <laughs> oh yeah. He found oh, out very no. quickly. You don't do that with a Cutco knife because it just keeps going. <laughs> and then you have Isn't lime it? juice in your cut. <laughs> And that hurts oh. a lot. Oh. I'm not going to say there were tears, but we had to console. That hurts it. me just thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. But credit cards are like that. They're like that sharp Cutco knife. It's a really awesome tool and you can, you can create some really cool things with it, but you do have to be careful, right? Mm -hmm. You don't want to go running down the hallway with it. You're going to hurt somebody. I <laughs> <laughs> love that. Yeah. So, And I, I, I'm just going to say one thing on this because my wife and I did stupid stuff with credit cards. I think you and mm. I talked about this before. Yeah. And we taught our daughter as, as she became an adult, don't do stupid stuff with credit cards. Here's here's the plan. And of course, I'd had a lot more experience with finance and, and working with advisors as well by mm -hmm. that time. And we just talked to her about it, sat her down, and she got it from day one. She totally understood. She got her first credit card. It's $400 limit. And her plan was only use it for gas and pay it off every month. And now she's her credit has been extended to like eight grand or 10 grand or whatever. It's paid off every month. She doesn't use it for much of anything else. And her credit scores so much higher than mine. It really is. I mean, she's good seriously. job, dad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I screwed things up, but she's doing fine. 
But yeah, well, the, good. Yeah, and, and I'm just like, wow, I'm I'm blown away by how smart she is with it. But again, if you know what you're doing, you, you can definitely utilize those to your advantage. Absolutely. Excuse me. Yes, you. Thank you so much for listening to the Money Is Emotional podcast. We hope you're enjoying it so far. If you have any questions or would like to talk more about this topic, you can find us at www.christinelukin.com and all of our social media platforms are listed in the show notes. All right, so here's my disagreement number three. And this is his Dave's first baby step. And this mm-hmm. is put $1,000 in your emergency savings and then focus on paying off debt. Hmm. I don't know about you, but I'm lucky if my financial emergency is only $1,000. Okay. I wasn't sure where you're going with this. So I was a little <laughs> nervous. I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> yes. Okay. Only 1000 I get that. Only 1000 right? So Dave has not changed this piece of advice in over 20 years. Does he know about inflation? Has he heard about that? You know, maybe we should, we should ask him. Yeah. <laughs> Have you heard about this thing called inflation? <laughs> Just a small I mean, I don't thing. know. Maybe maybe you're so rich it's not affecting you, but it is affecting you. Oh, me he a could bit. be sitting on a pile of eggs. <laughs> maybe he's got just like a ton of eggs that he's able to sell. Uh, so $1,000, that is not enough for, he calls it your baby emergency fund, or, mm-hmm. you know, I call it your mini emergency fund. He and I are in agreement that, you know, your fully funded emergency fund is six months. But the way that he teaches it is step one, $1,000 in savings. Number two, pay off all your debt other than the house. And then mm-hmm. number three is get your emergency fund up to six months. I think it's much better to have at least one month of your expenses, of your household expenses yeah. in emergency savings before you start tackling any high interest debt. And the reason why I like that guideline better, I don't even like to say a rule because, I mean, you know me, I like to break the rules. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> guideline, um, you know, having a month of your household expenses, I think is a better guideline because, you know, that works for people who are making $50,000 and people who are making $500,000 yeah. a year, right? Because what are your personal monthly household expenses. Let's get that in the savings because chances are the types of emergencies that you might have in your household, that's probably going to take care of those so that you don't have to put that emergency on a credit card. That's the whole point of having that mini emergency fund before you start tackling that debt. So that one's pretty cut and dry. Um, so yeah, a thousand dollars isn't enough. And you know, the one argument I've heard against this is like, well, for some people, when they have nothing, if their household expenses are like five thousand dollars, that can seem like, you know, a really big, huge goal. Well, you can like subdivide that, you know, and say like, okay, my first goal is a thousand, my second goal is two thousand, and you know, work your way up. But you want to accomplish that you know, that mini emergency fund first before you start tackling the high interest debt. Because if you start tackling the debt before you have any savings and you have an emergency, then you're just going to have to go charge it. 
Exactly. And that's what we're trying to avoid. So, so one month of your household expenses, then you can start tackling that credit card debt. Now, disagreement number four, this, this one, this is the big one. <laughs> now, I'm not sure if he's changed his stance on this or not, but I don't think he has. He tells you to stop contributing to your retirement investments while you're paying off your high interest debt. I don't, I don't think I've ever heard that he says that. Hmm. Yeah. So I don't agree. I mean, for the 10 years that I was teaching his program, that's what he taught. Yeah. He recommends you put all your muscle into paying off debt, which includes temporarily stopping your retirement contributions. I strongly object to this one. If your company matches, mm -hmm. you are forfeiting free money. So for example, my husband's company, he works for GE. If he puts in 7%, if he puts in at least 7%, then they match that for 7% at 50%. So basically mm -hmm. he gets another three and a half percent just for putting his own money in there. Yep. If he didn't put that in there, he's basically losing that money and you can never get that back. I mean, that's, that's pretty huge. And the other thing is, you know, even small contributions compound into really large amounts over time. And so even though you might say like, well, I'm just turning it off for a year, I'm just turning it off for two years. If you had actually put that money and said, okay, if I had put these contributions plus whatever my employer would match and, you know, put in the approximate return rate and you would see what that would compound to over 20 years, you wouldn't even, you'd be like, oh, there's no way. <laughs> we're, we're not turning that off. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, because thousands turn into hundreds of thousands. So, and the other thing that I found too is when people turn off their 401k contribution, that's almost like this inertia, right? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. turning it back on once their debt is paid off. A lot of times people just forget to do that. And then they're like, oh crap, you know, another three years has gone by and I haven't restarted my retirement contributions. I have found that most people, especially my clients, they can afford to do both they can afford to put in at least, you know, at least as much to capture that match while they're paying down debt. Mm -hmm. Typically, we can find places where they're wasting money on the spending side of things that we don't need to touch this. Now, when it comes to investing and retirement, you know, Dave has a very, like, simplified formula that he uses that he says like, oh, you know, you should just like take one quarter of your money and put it into each of these four types of funds. I'm not debating that because I'm not a financial advisor, but I know if there's financial advisors who are listening, a lot of them don't like Dave Ramsey <laughs> because of the investment advice specifically. So yeah, it's a one size fits all mentality that yeah he kind of 
protrudes or or yeah it, it, i i don't think anybody would agree with that quite honestly yeah. I mean, he's doing one thing that works really well for people in certain situations but it's not a fit for everybody yeah well and maybe it's better than doing nothing oh absolutely right? i agree with that yeah <laughs> It certainly is. Yeah, it certainly is. But I don't want people leaving free money on the table from their employers. Um, And even if you're not getting a match, you're missing out on that compounded growth if you're not putting anything in. Yeah. So, and and it can be hard to to catch up. Yeah. That that specifically, I believe truly. And Dave, if you're listening, Dave, I think you're a smart guy. I really do. However, (laughs) Einstein has a quote that says, compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. He who understands it, earns it. He who doesn't, pays it. That was yeah. Einstein, Dave. Einstein. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying. You know, I'm not smarter than Einstein. <laughs> I, yeah, and if, Dave, if you're going to say you're smarter than Einstein, we'd like to have you on the podcast. <laughs> uh, that's too funny. All right, so the fifth and final disagreement that we're going to talk about today is Dave says, Never buy a new car unless you're a millionaire. Okay. She is. So he gets new cars and I don't. Sorry. (laughs) So, I mean, basically, Dave wants you to buy used cars until you've reached a net worth of at least a million dollars. You know, and I get it. He doesn't want people to finance brand new cars with payments they can barely afford. I mean, I don't want that either. Yeah. But... I've actually found a really great way to purchase brand new cars at a really good price. And I have been doing this, uh, gosh, for the last almost 20 years. So the first brand new car that I bought was back in 2004. I remember it. Mm -hmm. It was a Hyundai Sonata. And I had, I had followed Dave's advice so I could pay cash for this car, which I highly recommend. And, you know, basically that means once you pay off a car, you drive it for several more years and you bank those car payments so that when you're ready to buy the next thing between your cash and your trade-in, you don't have to get a payment. Or if you do, it's like a super low payment. So I had saved up the money to go and buy my car. And It was honestly like it was the most fun I've ever had negotiating buying a car because Mm -hmm. I first of all, I knew I could walk away from the deal because I wasn't beholden to the car dealership to finance my purchase. Yeah. But what I did was I went and bought my car right as the next year's model was coming out. And they still had several of the previous year's model on the car lot. Mm -hmm. So I was able to negotiate a really good deal on that car and I paid cash for it. 10 years later, I did the exact same thing. I took really good care of that car. I ended up selling that car. I think I bought it for 15. I sold it for $5,000. I went and bought a new Sonata for 20 grand for cash, basically did the exact same thing. You know, they already had the next year's models and the most recent car purchase, which was two years ago, 
I actually did it with a luxury car. Now, this would make Dave <laughs> fall over and pass mm -hmm. out, right? Mm -hmm. Now, by the time I bought the Alfa Romeo, I had hit millionaire status. So maybe he would give me his blessing. But what I did was when I bought the car, they had both years models on the lot. Mm -hmm. I paid $10,000 less for my Julia because it was a 2020 instead of buying the 2021. There was yeah. a $10,000 price difference. <laughs> Yeah, And I got exactly what I want with the red leather seats and, you know, like this amazing and whistles and yes, I mean, awesome. it's probably got things I still don't even know how to use. <laughs> 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 so, you know, I mean, if possible, yes, pay cash for your cars, drive them for a long time and buy them at the end of the model year when the next year's cars are arriving on the lot. Because here's the thing. Nobody knows what year my car is. Mm -hmm. I mean, if somebody saw it, you know, fresh out of the car wash, they'd probably think it was a 2023. Yeah. They have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you work for Motor Trend, then maybe and, you know. Yeah. And if you're a car person and you're, oh, well, you've got a 2020 model. Those yeah. are people you're going to hang out with anyway. I know. Um, well, and here's the other thing <laughs> again. If you have an opportunity and you can buy a new car, there's another bonus to that, depending on what you can get. My father-in-law, he, he always buys new cars. And he came, uh, he was actually in our town because he lives in El Paso. He came up to Omaha and I had made a few phone calls because he couldn't find the price he wanted. Found the same car here for less, right? Wow. It was like, it was about $3,500 less off that, the new car. Well, and that's the big. thing is, it is a big deal. And so it was just a different city and he just drove it home. So that was great. But the other thing was that it was a Chrysler 300C at the time. And at that time, it was a lifetime powertrain warranty. You awesome. can't find those often. However, no. if you're looking to between a really high-end used car that's going to be this amount of money or a new car that has a lifetime powertrain warranty where you never have to worry about a transmission or an engine or any of those things. That's a whole different kind of realm that you're in, right? I mean, it's because right. if you buy that really high-end used car and, you know, a year later, two years later, something goes out on the tranny, that's going to cost you, you know, seven, eight grand in a lot of cases. That's true. Yeah. So th yeah. That th is the other thing. Yeah. And it's not a one size fits all. I think that's what you're saying a lot through yeah. this podcast, which I agree with hundred percent. And I think that yeah. that's where Dave gets tripped up. Yes. Yeah. It's like my way or the highway, right? Yeah. Like I'm right. You're wrong. And I mean, that's really the final thought that I want to leave with people is don't follow, don't blindly follow any financial guru or expert verbatim, like mm -hmm. listen, learn, Take what works for you. I mean, I am so grateful for the Christine Lucan fans out there, but I never want blind followers who are Christine Lucan fanatics. <laughs> I don't. That's, that's I don't want point. that kind no. of pressure. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> yes. So. Well, Christine, I would love for people to join you on this journey. Yeah, me too. So how, how do they reach <laughs> out to you if they're interested in learning more about maybe their specific situation and, and kind of the advice and thoughts you have for them? Yeah. Well, of course, there's always coaching one-on-one -on -one with me. I typically work with uh, multiple six-figure couples and divorcing women. However, if that's not you, that's okay. Uh, my financial dignity on demand course 
shows you how to become and stay financially healthy while you're enjoying your life. And this is really about, you know, learning the various tools, picking the ones that work for you and are applicable to your situation and, you know, essentially customizing it for yourself, right? Rather than me handing down the 10 commandments of personal finance, you get to see what's out there, figure out what you need and apply those things to your situation. So if you go to financialdignityondemand.com, instant access to that. So you can start it right away. And if you uh, enter the promo code podcast, all lowercase at the checkout, you're going to get a sizable listener discount. Fantastic. Christine, thank you. This has been great. A lot of fun. Yes, it was fun. Dave, if you're listening, we'd like to get you on the show. (laughs) All right. Christine. I'm a little scared. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you. And of course, listening audience, thank you for tuning in and listening to the Money is Emotional podcast with Christine Lucan. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Christine comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask you to share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review as this actually does help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Money is Emotional, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Money is Emotional podcast. To get in touch, visit our website at www.christinelucan.com or drop us a line at hello at christinelucan.com. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Christine Lucan. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing or tax advice. Always seek the advice of your advisor, tax professional, or other qualified financial professional with any questions you may have regarding your personal finances.